Hello and welcome to a very special podcast from At The Flicks. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Warren Ringham of the famous James Bond tribute band, Cue The Music. As part of this discussion, Warren has kindly allowed us to play some music from their live show. So, we start this podcast with a special James Bond theme arrangement called Bond 77 from the film The Spy Who Loved Me.
That was Bond 77, one of my favourite arrangements of the Bond theme, as played by Q the Music, the world's leading James Bond tribute band. Manager of Q is Warren Ringham, and I'm delighted to be speaking to Warren this evening. Hi, Warren. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. Lovely to be, lovely to be here with you. Oh, no, that's great. How are you this evening? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, having a nice evening. Excellent. Well, I understand you founded Q the Music back in 2004. What inspired you to come up with the idea to create a James Bond tribute band? It's 15 years this year. It's uh, flown past, actually. Um, and it kind of, kind of came around through me being a professional musician and a trumpet player. And I was a band leader for many years. Uh, well, not many years, probably about five years before that. I was running a, a function band that did weddings, parties, corporate events, that sort of thing. And I was also a huge Bond fan. Uh, I've always been a fan of the music. I've always been a huge fan of the films ever since I was, well, I can remember right back being a toddler. I had a little uh, um, chase compilation uh, video that my dad used to put on for me when he was practicing because he was a professional trumpet player as well. He used to put this sort of um, compilation video that he put together and it had some of the chases from Live and Let Die, the speedboat chases and things like that so i was always a huge bond fan and the two things kind of combined one day in my head when i thought why has nobody ever taken the music of bond and and put it in a setting where it can be taken to functions and corporate events because there's always been a a scene uh, of james bond events james bond themed events um and i thought the opportunity was there to put music in in those events so it kind of just snowballed from there really the first videos that we recorded uh to promote the band just went off the scale with with interest from james bond fans around the world i mean the first batch of videos that we did have had over a million hits on youtube over the course of wow. a, a number of years and we just got more and more requests to to be able to see the show and the problem with that was at the time all we were doing was sort of private events where people would pay us a fee and we'd turn up and we'd play at their event where it be it a, um, a james bond themed corporate event or a or a birthday or we've done some weddings and what have you so then it kind of transferred into this theatre show that, that that we put together, really aimed at Bond fans. You know, it was, it was created by a, a massive Bond geek in, in myself um, for fellow Bond geeks. And uh, it's just absolutely snowballed um, from there. It's just been an incredible last five years, which just uh, skyrocketed uh, well out of anything I could have ever imagined. So what was the inspiration behind that title, Cue the Music? Well, we were initially called the Bond Band for the first 10 years. And then one day out of the blue, we got a, a lovely letter from Eon. Uh, from, well, not from Eon, actually, from their from their lawyers, uh, saying that we couldn't call ourselves the Bond Band anymore because they felt it, it implied affiliation because it was the Bond Band. So we were kind of ch- kicking around different ideas, put it out to our fan base. We had loads of really great suggestions and it was actually my mum that came up with Cue the Music. And she's not even like a Bond geek like me, but she thought of the character Cue and yeah. and obviously combined it with the Cue the Music idea. And that's what sort of came out of it. And, you know, I would actually think it's a great name and it's really stuck. And, and I couldn't ever imagine going back to being the Bond band now because, I mean, we're so well known as Cue the Music. So... It's sort of, uh, that's how we came up with it. It's a shame when Eon does that because all you're doing is promoting Bond. Oh, no, 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 um, 
no hard feelings about that at all. At the end of the day, they have a, a, a product that they own and they have the rights to and they want to protect that. And, and I understand that, you know, there's times when you, you do kind of feel like we, we are we are what I, I consider ourselves like a fan service kind of thing. It's it's a, a safe space, those concerts where Bond fans can come and enjoy and share in the love of Bond. And, you know, it's a shame that they don't embrace that side of things a little bit more for sure. I, I don't think they do the, the same kind of Bond fan stuff that Star Wars does, for example, with mm. celebration and, and those kinds of things. That That's something that I think they're missing out on but from our side of, of things then you know that that's that's fine i mean we're, we're quite happy with what we're doing and we get on with what we do and hopefully people come and enjoy it and you know when the new film comes out they'll be very busy with that i'm sure too busy to be yeah. worrying about us as i say you're celebrating bond which is great so you say you're a lifelong james bond fan what was the first james bond film where you noticed the music where it really made a big impression on you do you know what? I've, I've, I've been watching Bond films for so long. It's really hard. The two distinct memories I have, first memories that I can remember of Bond, was that Live and Let Die chases from uh, my dad's video. So the music to that kind of has always sort of uh, stuck with me. But then also A View to a Kill as well, because my, we had that on VHS at home. And that was one of those films that we just played. Steph, my sister and I played it to death in our house. <laughs> Uh, and I can remember we we actually between us wrote out the lyrics to "A View to a Kill" the song, and we I mean we could sing it all along. You know, we, we had it even you know back in the days when if you wanted to get a recording of something, you had to get your old cassette player and and yes. hold it up to the speaker of the TV and record it. And that's how we did it. You know, we used to play that over and over and over again. So although it wouldn't say it's my favourite uh, song by any means, "A View to a Kill," it's the one that I definitely remember going back uh, in, into the distant in my distant memory that's the one that sticks out and i do love the soundtrack to a view to kill i mean i really do we we did a, a medley of cues from a view to a kill this year and we've done it before as well actually and it, you know he still he was still writing some fantastic music right up until his last film living daylights john barry yes yeah uh, so that one that one probably sticks in my mind in terms of thinking all the way back to where it started i, I guess that would be one of the ones that i remember for the longest time ago. Yeah, funny enough, I've got a question coming up on A View to a Kill and um, oh, the yeah, video okay. I've seen. So I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But in the meantime, just to set the scene a little bit and for people listening to this podcast, particularly in Gloucestershire, um, there's a real treat for you because Cue the Music are playing in Cheltenham on April the 12th. So, Warren, can you tell us a little bit about that concert and what venue you're appearing in? Yes, yeah, so we're at the Town Hall, Cheltenham Town Hall. Um, as you say, 12th of April at uh, half past seven. And um, so we're going to have a wonderful uh, compare with us, Caroline Bliss. Now, for those of you who don't know, she was uh, she played Moneypenny in uh, Timothy Dalton's films, The Living Daylights and Licence to Kill. She's a lovely, lovely lady. We, she just did our first show with us actually a couple of weeks ago and uh, and she's absolutely brilliant. So we're really looking forward to working with her again. And the concert is, it's a really packed full of of all the songs i think the only song that we don't do is die another day we did do it but we had so many people saying uh well, almost complaints about it that we just dropped it all together and we now have, uh, have a little bit more space to put in some of our other specials because as well as all the main theme tunes uh, when you come to a cue the music concert you'll usually get at least three 
uh, non-title song tunes as well. So we do Bond 77 from The Spy Who Loved Me, which is a yeah. wonderful bit of chase music that, that it, it, is really exactly. iconic. And and yeah. we opened the podcast with that because I, I just think yeah, Marvin yeah. Hamlish's arrangement on that is fantastic. Uh, it's amazing. It's certainly the most iconic um, cue from, I think, from the Roger Moore era. And funny enough, it's not a Barry cue, which is funny, but it, it, it's so distinctive in that sort of 70s sound from that era. I absolutely adore that track. Yes. Uh, and actually was one of the the first pieces that I ever arranged for cue the music even before some of the songs I, I, that was one of the ones that i was just so uh keen to do in the band that it was one of the one of the first ones that i actually transcribed and arranged um uh, for the show we'll usually put in a couple of surprise numbers um they can be things like the look of love or it can be uh, rejected themes we do one or two of those we do one or two that maybe aren't at the front end of the film, but maybe at the back. Sometimes we do, uh, from World Is Not Enough, we do a, a song called Only Myself to Blame, which David Arnold wrote for the film. It's on the soundtrack, but it didn't get used. Uh, it's a wonderful piece of music. So there's lots of little um, special treats. It's a real uh, Bond geek's dream, uh, our concert, I think, and everybody always says that. And also, actually, I have to say, we always get the partners that get dragged along who are the Bond geek's long-suffering partners, and they always come out afterwards saying, well, I, I'm not really a huge Bond fan. I didn't know if I was going to enjoy it, but I really just enjoyed the music. So that's always a, a good thing uh, as well. No, funny you should say that, because I sat down with an evening with my wife last week. And I said, right, you've got to look at this. So I put it on YouTube and we went through a number of the videos that you put together. And, and she said, um, oh, I'm really looking forward to this concert now. These are great. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it certainly works even before I get her there. Um, how long did they take to put together? The videos themselves uh, probably weren't too long. I mean, I, well, there's there's some work that goes on in the studio in terms of you know cutting together all different cameras and before that you've got the audio to do and our show is has got a lot of audio um there's i think something like 40 channels that we use on a on a show um between different keyboards and percussion and drum triggers and the brass and everything else there's, there's a lot of a lot of things to bring into play when you're when you're doing the mix down the, the performances have evolved so much over 15 years i mean i i still I still go back and find little little nuggets within the the original pieces that maybe you know on the two thousandth listen you, you you hear a little something that maybe you've missed the first one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine times and you know go back and put that in and and the band and the sound of the band and the arrangements and everything else has has evolved to such a degree over the years that I I look back at the first videos and I I sort of cringe when I um when I see them now and even those ones that you're talking about. They're a couple of years old now, and and again, the show has 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 gone on leaps and bounds since uh, since those. It's just got better and better. So, at some point, we we must try and do some more. But it, it's quite an expensive and and time consuming uh, project to do that. But the thing about those videos as well, they're all completely live. So the ones that are on YouTube now, that was a, a show that we did a couple of years ago. So everything that you hear and see on there was what it sounded like in the room and like i say i i think we've we've actually improved on that since then so it's um it only gets better hopefully right and there's also one with just the horn section as well oh yes we were well there's lots of videos of us looking around and yeah we've done the odd little fun little thing like that so that's 
you're talking about um, just a little clip we took of the band just in the sound check. We just did the brass. We did a few excerpts um, from the show. Yeah. Just for a bit of fun, really. And yeah, so there's little clips and things like that that we've done over the over the years and probably be doing some more of those this year. Oh, that would be excellent. I think we've spoken enough about the music. Let's just cut to another track. So that was the excellent main title song from A View to a Kill. Now, Warren, in the video you posted from one of your concerts, 
There's a wonderful medley of themes from John Barry's score before the song, and we mentioned this earlier on. How did you go about selecting the pieces for that medley? (laughs) It's it's, it's always a really tricky one because I get uh, messages all the time from from people that follow the show and, and come to the concerts and, can you do this track? Can you do that cue? Can you do this particular piece or whatever? Um, and it's always a balance between, because what you have to remember with, with our band, we are um, a 13 piece band. Now, nobody ever complains um, when they come and see the band that, that they're not getting the full orchestra. In fact, you know, countless times people come and they say the sound is, is so much bigger than they're expecting and actually enjoy it more than some of the orchestral performances they've seen of the songs. Because a lot of the songs after uh, You Only Live Twice, really it kind of goes into an era where it's kind of pop and rock songs more than orchestral. The first yeah. few films very much are orchestral songs with rhythm section backing, but then after that it's more a rhythm section heavy rock songs with orchestral backing. So we've lined up the show in a way that allows us to do all those songs um, with a smaller lineup, but it still sounds as epic as the originals and probably has a lot more power than an orchestra because you've got that real heavy rock section uh, in the rhythm section, but then you've got the power of a large brass section, which makes you feel like you're getting a, a Bond song. So we do do some of the cues from the films, but the trouble that with that is is that I have to select carefully which ones we're going to do because some cues li- uh, lend themselves very well to our lineup, but some don't. Um, so sometimes when I'm picking stuff, it, it kind of really they pick themselves fr- from what I want to get out of the particular score from the film. Then also there's a combination of you want to try and get the the iconic ones that you think people uh, recognise um, the most. And then I guess a flow of what's going to work well in the medley. Those ones in that uh, Future Kill medley, ones that gave me a buzz. I know as a Bond fan, if it's giving me a buzz, it's going to give the audience a buzz. Because certainly did me. If I wasn't in the band, yeah, if I wasn't in the band, I'd be in the audience. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, I've got my finger on the pulse of what a Bond fan wants to come and see because we have a group of guys from another podcast called James Bond Radio and they regularly meet up and and go and visit Bond locations and and do social things together. And I'm one that whenever I can, I go along these Bond events socially. So I understand what it is to be a Bond fan. And that's why I sort of always say about the show is that it's created by a Bond fan for Bond fans. So the answer to your long, very long answer to your question, View to a Kill medley is, is kind of selected based on what we're able to perform combined with what I know people want to hear. What can you tell us about the programme for the evening in Cheltenham? Well, it's going to be a combination of all the best songs. Well, all the songs, in fact. The only one that we don't do, as I mentioned earlier, is is Die Another Day by popular request not to do it. And then those those other special items. So you're going to get the the full powerhouse mix of all the songs, all your favourites from Goldfinger, uh, Dimes Are Forever, Live and Let Die, Nobody Does It Better, right up to date with the more recent ones, the two Oscar winners, Skyfall and Writings on the Wall, every Bond song from Dr. No to Spectre all the way through, and then some extra little special numbers as well, and delivered in our way, which is with tremendous passion, tremendous flair, um, lots of energy, spine-tingling moments, emotional moments. You've got lots of people that say that they, the moments in the show where it brings tears to their eyes, it's a real foot-tapping uh, emotional roller coaster of a show. Well, as I said, as a lifelong Bond fan, I'm really looking forward to this, and the other guys here are as well. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a bit then, Warren. So a couple of questions okay. then. 
What's your favourite James Bond music to play? Favourite piece to play, I would say... Well, there's two parts to that question. I, I think it's... And it kind of also says... It's also the same similar thing with uh, what's your favourite Bond song. It's, it's probably a split between Diamonds Are Forever and Licence to Kill. I, I think I enjoy um, listening to and playing Diamonds Are Forever the most, but I think that the song that gets the best buzz is Licence to Kill because when we do it, because of the way that Kerry performs it, our lead singer, it always takes the roof off of every single venue we play at. The, the place just erupts at the end of it because she just puts so much passion and, and, and heart and soul into it and emotion that you can't help but be carried on that wave. And then there's sort of that release at the end when everyone shows their appreciation and that's just a, a buzz that, that money can't buy that you just can't you can't experience anywhere else. So the two of those songs are, are, are neck and neck for me for, for various re for the two different reasons that I, that I said really. So going on and putting you on the spot again, who's your favorite James Bond composer and why? Oh, that's easy. I mean, it's John Barry because he set the bar, he set the standard, you know, it's funny, actually I do when I do the transcriptions and arrangements, it's always strikes me how, relatively simple John Barry's music is but yet it's so wonderfully effective and of course what he is a, a genius at well two things he's a, in fact there's three things <laughs> he's a genius at firstly it's melody writing I, I think he's one of the most uh, iconic and, and best melody writers that we've ever had in film yep. film score history yep. along with John Williams obviously but you know it's a simple melody that just a hook that sticks with you forever he is the man. I mean, he's done it time and time again. Secondly, I think he is a wonderful chord writer. And I think that stems from his background in jazz as a jazz trumpet player in his John Barry Seven Days. Yeah. Um, he understands chords and he has this amazing language of his own, really, with his ninth chords uh, that he uses all over the place that just give it a very distinctive sound to him, especially his... James Bond chord, the chord from the end of the of the James Bond theme, which is his chord, the E minor major nine. It's a, a very um, sh sort of sharp, distinctive kind of edgy chord that when you hear it, you straight away think of Bond and you think of danger and you think of kind of sneaky spy stuff. That chord kind of crops up all over the place in, in, his, in his music and it's so uh, distinctive to him. Uh, and he's a wonderful way of using those chords. You can just play one chord and create an atmosphere with it. So I think he's fantastic at that. And then the, the third thing, I think he's one of the greatest orchestrators that, that's ever been in, in music. And when I say orchestrator, so what that means is that's when he takes the music that he's written and chooses where it's going to be played within an orchestra, what instruments is going to be played in what range and, and what have you. And you know, when you think of John Barry's music, whether he's writing for space or whether he's writing underwater, whether he's writing for gypsy camp or whether he's writing for a train uh, scene or whatever, he's so good at, at writing that um, scenic music that if you switch the film off, the music will still take you to that scene in your mind, even if you've never seen it before. He's just so good at that. And then where he then puts it in the orchestra that makes it work so well, I think he's just a genius at that. I must say, as a footnote, I'm also a huge, huge David Arnold fan. I, I think he... I, I was going to um, come on to Mr Arnold. He's taken a wonderful job of, of taking the baton and, and running with it. I think he beautifully combines the John Barry, James Bond sound and, and has that one foot in the sort of 
that era, but also he has very much has his own unique, distinct sound as well, and has taken. Well, I mean, what Barry did so well is that he always wrote so well in the time that he was writing for. So whether it was on a Magic Secret Service when he was using the the Moog synthesizer or whether it was in, in Living Daylights when he was writing with the kind of programmed drum sound, David Arnold took that on. I mean, the Tomorrow Never Dies soundtrack is absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. I think. And yeah. then going on from there, The World Is Not Enough starts to get a little bit more techno of, of the time in, in the late 90s and then into Die Another Day where it just goes over the top kind of um, techno stuff. But then that was that where the where uh, the music was at that time. So he took that kind of standard and that sort of parameter that, that Barry set back in the day and, and made it his own at, at the same time as, you know, looking backwards, he was able to look forwards as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge Thomas Newman fan, but to be honest, I have missed David Arnold in the last two films. Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge uh, Thomas Newman fan. I have to say, <laughs> I, um, I've really missed David Arnold. I, I hope he comes back. I I think the I thing hope is, so as well. there is there's lots of great things about Thomas Newman's scores, and and it's not a complete disaster at all. And uh, some people really can't stand uh, his scores, and. There are some criticisms that I completely agree with. Like, you know, he's quite repetitive between the two scores. There's a lot of recycling in Spectre that that was in Skyfall of cues um, and sounds. But there is some great moments. I mean, I think the opening credits uh, music in in Spectre is fabulous. All that stuff, the Day of the Dead scene is absolutely brilliant. I really like the scene um, in Rome, Inspector, with the, the choir and that he uses in, in that car chase bit that's fabulous. In Skyfall, the scene with the coffins, there's some wonderful sort of almost Barry-esque brass chords. But generally, I I don't think that his style and the way that he's tried to change it, I don't think it... I, for me, I think it kind of missed the mark a bit, I must say. And also, I think it's been a rather criminal lack of use of the title songs within the scores in recent films because that, that's that was a always very a key common. thing that's not his fault actually i don't think but i think the trouble is is that because they kind of separated the two entities so that you've got one artist that just deals with the title song and and the composer that just deals with the um the score and there's no collaboration between the two that's why you do, you don't have that that joined up thinking like you used to um, when you know, even even when David Arnold's era, he was involved and sometimes wrote the songs. So that's why you get that that overlap of the of the sound of the song within the score. Well, I I think that really hit Michael Kamen in License to Kill because he didn't have that song. He didn't know the song beforehand. No, so. I mean that's another score that I mean it's, it divides opinion, doesn't it? The Michael Kamen score. Um, it, the thing is with the Michael Kamen score, I, I find it very similar to his other scores. You know, you could mm. you could flip a, a disc in and out. Um, between tracks of say Die Hard and and License to Kill, and you probably apart from the little Bond quote here and there, you probably wouldn't notice. I don't think it's very similar. No, no, that's fair enough. But I just want to turn to John Barry and just thinking through. I mean, my two favourite cues that he did would be the Fort Knox sequence from Goldfinger and Hercules yeah, takes Knox. yeah, and, and Hercules takes off from Living Daylights, which I think are both fantastic pieces. Yeah. Yeah, and you've bookended his career, his Bond career really. That we're not quite, you know, obviously uh, from Rush with Love, but you know that you, it's amazing that you're talking about two favourites and one's from right back in the early day and one on his last film. I mean, you're doing it over all those you know couple of decades and and still creating just as good stuff yeah. in the, the Living Daylights as when he started. 
just come up to the present in the show. So we've spoken at length about the, these wonderful instrumentals, but you do have some great singers and they're wonderfully showcased on the videos. Would you like to say a few words about them? Well, I mean, Kerry, first of all, I probably said it already when I was talking about License to Kill. I mean, she's an absolutely incredible vocalist, but what it is about her is, is that when she goes on stage, she sings from her toes to the top of her head. It's every ounce of her goes into the performance and you see it in front of you. You know, it's it's a you can't help but be swept up by the emotion and the passion that she she puts into it. And, you know, she's got such a great following as a result of doing these shows because people get to see in these Bond songs just just how much is of herself that she's putting into it. And you can't help but be swept along um, by that. And then our male singer, Matthew Walker, is a, a, a tremendous musician as well. I mean, he's a he's a fabulous singer, but, I mean, the guy plays percussion, drums, guitar, piano, sings. And on the show, he plays percussion for us as well, and he's he's at the back there with playing all the different kind of handheld percussion instruments, but he also plays a, a thing called a drum trigger. So on there, he triggers certain sound effects and instruments that we can't sort of carry around all, all the way with us on the shows, like uh, vibraphones and xylophones and... Uh, marimbas and all of those things and he he puts all of that in at the back and then goes out and sings as well as doing some backing vocals for Kerry he's, he's just a a tremendous musician as they both are and there's no doubt that anyone coming along will will be will be big fans of theirs by the end of the show I'm sure is is it Matthew who sings you know my name yeah well Matt, Matt, Matt and Kerry do that now as a as a duet actually uh, which is quite effective and and always goes down really well. So uh, they do a couple of, they do living, the living daylights as a duet as well. Um, so we kind of change things up a little bit there, but it just makes it a little bit more interesting as a performance because you, you get parts of the show where they're on their own and then you get a couple of parts of the show where they sing together at the front, which is great. You know, it's really changes it up a bit. Oh, that's brilliant. So here we'll just stop just to play another little bit of music.
That was You Know My Name, a tremendously powerful James Bond song. A couple of other questions, if I may. In 2017, you were asked to perform at Pinewood for the Roger Moore Memorial. I mean, that must have been an incredible night. Can you tell us about it and what it meant to you? It's one of those things that I get asked all the time. And, and to try and put anything like this into words, is, is it's almost impossible to find the words to do that sort of day uh, justice, really. To convey the emotion that was in the room, that was amongst the people there, that was amongst the band and myself, it is really tricky to do. Because what you have to remember is we were effectively invited to a private celebration of his of his life so the people that were there were his family and his close friends and when i say close friends i'm talking to people like michael kane and david walliams and uh, dame joan collins some absolutely unbelievable names that were there but all of these people knew him personally so were it was a very emotionally charged atmosphere anyway and then on top of that you go into the, the fact that we were being invited to performed there and I felt for me I felt like we were kind of representing Bond fans that were unable to go you know because it was this small intimate affair and I felt that we were there in a way sort of representing Bond fandom side of things and then you put into the fact that you're performing live at this event in front of all these people and for me it was kind of a culmination of of many years of my sort of dream to do something like that and so you know, you wrap all that up into a into one package and try and describe it. It's it's really really hard. I mean, it was just incredibly proud, incredibly privileged and honoured. And when you've got family and friends up on on the stage, as it were, I mean, stage is the wrong word, but you know, at the front and talking about Sir Roger and becoming overcome with emotion, you know, that the whole thing really does yeah. hit you. I must say, I you know shed a few tears and I I never met Sir Roger Moore uh, obviously he had a huge impact on me growing up because he was always there on my TV and I've seen those films thousands of times so to do that I mean yeah it was just it was the proudest apart from obviously you know getting married and having kids and everything else it was the proudest moment of my life to be able to do that it was just a incredible I stood we were stood there waiting to perform I sort of had a moment when I took in what we were doing and he kind of hit me, although I've, you know, I've performed as a trumpet player uh, all over the world and, and on some really high profile events. The, the fact that we were doing that in that setting um, with something that that had started just as a an idea that had come into my head one day, you know, he suddenly hits you on the stage and you're like, oh, everything hits you once. You're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And oh, my God, what have I done? You know, what What if it all goes wrong? You know, if it, you can't at that stage, you can't do anything. You've just got to trust that you've done everything, all the preparation that you can do and that everybody in the band, we've got a, such a brilliant team of musicians and technicians that, that do the show. And they're all so, so fantastic at what they do. I wouldn't swap any of them for anybody, really. There was that moment where I suddenly thought, I can't actually affect anything here. I've done everything that I can do and I just have to trust that everybody will do their job. And the funny thing is, is that every time I put the band under a bit more pressure, be it like we did the West End last week or when we've done stuff on, we did something on TV a few years ago or when we've done big shows in front of people that really know their Bond music and all that. Every time I do that, the band seems to raise its game another level. And it's like the more pressure I put on them, the better they get. And, they, and that was no um, exception at that event. They, they, they absolutely um, played out of their skin and it was it went down an absolute storm. And, and you know, we got a lovely uh, letter back from uh, Sir Roger Moore's office and lovely appreciation from, the, from their family. And it's something that 
no matter whatever happens in the rest of my life, no one can ever take it away in, from me. And I can take that to my grave as one of the, the most privileged and proud moments of my, of my life, really. Oh, fantastic. And the special events just keep coming for you. I mean, you've got the 50th anniversary yeah. release of On a Majesty's oh, Secret Service coming yeah. up. Yeah, so so what that that is that's the uh, up at Piz Gloria in Switzerland where a lot of on a Majesty's Secret Service was filmed. Um they're having this event on the 1st of June to commemorate uh 50 years since the film was was released. And they've got a load of the uh, Angels of Death, uh, the girls from the film and George Lazenby himself and we're going to be performing up there as part of the event and we're going to be doing a 20 minute medley of of music from on Imagine secret service as well as Fantastic. some of the best bond theme and yeah i mean it's just going to be amazing i went out last year to do a recce in august just to kind of get a lay of the land because i mean it's you've got to take four cable cars up to get to this place it's ten thousand yeah. feet up in the alps but are you going to be okay sort of playing and singing at that level yeah, I mean, they, they say that people have done it before. And, it, you know, I was panting up there when I went up. I did have quite a heavy bag on my back, but I was I was noticing it. So, yeah, it is a concern, but everybody tells me that if you go up there for a few hours, A, you start to acclimatise, and B, it's not quite high yeah. enough to be really suffering. But it is quite physical work what we do. Obviously, for the drummer in particular and the singers and the lead trumpet player in particular, it is a little bit of a worry. Um, I'm going to have a few oxygen tanks. Just I'm not even kidding. I am actually going to do that. Wow. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing It's I mean, it's, it's one of the most incredible places I've ever been to in, in my life. It's just absolutely breathtakingly stunning. And to be doing a gig up there, I keep saying to the guys in the band, you know, this is going to be something that is going to be one of the experiences of your lives. You know, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I can't wait. And it, it'll be up there. Maybe not quite on the same level, but it'd be right up there with that Sir Roger Moore event for sure. Brilliant. Uh, as you say, George Lazenby, you've got John Glenn there as well. Yeah, there's a few. There's um, uh, Monty Norman who wrote the James Bond theme. He's going to be there. Peter Lamont, who's worked on more Bond films than anybody else, had a massive uh, influence on the look and the feel of Bond films for many, many years. And we did an event, another event at Pinewood a few years ago for Bond stars, and it was a celebration of, of his work. Um, so we got to meet him him there, and so he'll be there as well. Yeah, lots and lots of people be there, so it's going to be just incredible. Cannot wait. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So coming back to the present, so let's just remind our listeners where and when they can see you play in Gloucestershire. Yeah, well, we're actually on tour this year uh, in general. We've got quite a few shows dotted around around the country, and actually I know it's not quite – Gloucestershire but we're actually just had a show added today which is which is going on sale soon which is Swindon which isn't too far from you guys is it it's sort of no that's right that not right? too far yeah 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 no no I'm, actually second. where I live is where we are at the moment is halfway between Cheltenham and Swindon so oh well there you go so you might even be able to come and see us twice this year excellent no that'd be good <laughs> um but yeah so that's 2nd of November and and all of the dates and locations and, and what have you are all on our website, which is cuethemusicshow.com. And then if you click on see the show, you can see where we are and stuff. But yeah, the, the main one for anyone down in the Gloucestershire way is that, that 12th of April in Cheltenham Town Hall, which we're really looking forward to. It's actually selling really well, actually. It looks, it looks like it's going to be a, a cracking night there. So we, we're looking forward to that. So if you're a fan of James Bond, make sure you get your tickets before they all sell out. Warren, it's been an absolute blast. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in Cheltenham in a few days' time. I'll give you a shout after the show. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And and anybody that's there, we do a, a meet and greet after the shows. You can come and and meet the the main singers and myself, and also Money Penny from Living Daylights and License to Kill. So, I'd um, love to see you there, and do come and say hello if you're if you're there. Oh, I'll definitely be there. I will definitely come and see you after that. Thank you very much indeed for your time. And of course, we play out with what else? The James Bond theme. 